All right. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 94 and we're interviewing Megan Kay. How are you doing this morning, Megan? I'm good. It's good to hear. Good to hear. So let's get this started and dive in. Tell me about growing up and how was childhood? Um, My childhood. So I grew up in a suburb just uh, like about 30 minutes from Toronto. Um, it was a good and rough childhood at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a shelter with my mom. Um, an abused woman shelter for quite some time until we were until we were able to get um, proper housing Um, but yeah other than that my childhood was pretty good Um, teenage wise those years were a bit harder with uh, bullying and stuff Real quick, going back to the woman's shelter. So you have memories of that? I do. How how old were you when you were there? I was young, like two or three. Okay. So you have, how was it? Do you remember what it was like there? Um, I just remember the kids. Like, I vaguely remember it. I don't, like, fully remember, like, every single day type. But I just, it was just kind of like a house and stuff but that's all I recall and yeah it's not okay I don't remember it super like a lot of stuff just some stuff that must have been difficult yeah (laughs) when we were placed in we got some um housing so it worked really well although like the housing area was very like impoverished and stuff so there was a lot of like people with mental health issues or addiction issues and stuff. Um, Yeah. So going further, you said you were hopping into your teenage years. What was that like? My teenage years were a bit harder because I started to struggle with my mental health. Um, And also bullying was a big thing. I was diagnosed with something called Asperger's syndrome when I was 14 so it made fitting in quite difficult that's um Um, that's a form of uh what do you call it autism right autism yeah yeah it's just like a higher form now it's all grouped together and it's just called autism spectrum disorder but uh back in the day when I was diagnosed it was just called Asperger syndrome uh Yep, school I found very difficult. Um, Not really the work was difficult. It was more interacting with people, uh, connecting with people and stuff. After, I'm still not graduated high school. I'm actually going to graduate this year. How old (laughs) are you? I'm 24 years old. I turned 25 this year. Okay. Yeah, so high school was quite a challenge for me. And also my mental health was on the decline then what kind Um, of mental health issues were you having so there was the autism spectrum and then I was diagnosed with uh PTSD from when I was younger what exactly do do you remember the incidents that led to your PTSD so they said it was complex PTSD so multiple life experiences that just like added I guess 
Um, there was some sexual abuse when I was younger from a, from a neighbor. Uh, and the school that bullying. Happen? Were you hanging out with the neighbor? Yes. yes. Do you remember what kind of stuff happened? Uh, I, I don't really remember that well. I was very young and my memory kind of like blocked it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I got older into teenage years, the bullying, that's when the bullying really started. So I just stopped going to school altogether. I was like, I don't need school then. I started uh, self-medicating, getting Xanax from the streets. I was, was your, actually Was your mom okay with you dropping out? She was not, but she also knew that my uh, mental health, like I was ending up in hospital very often and stuff. So I, I wasn't even able to do like daily tasks. So how... How am I supposed to, you know, go to school from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., you know what I mean? When I can't even, you know, get up and do basic stuff. Um, now that I'm in a better place, I am, like, finishing high school this year. So that's good. Um, when I was a teenager, teenager, I was prescribed Valium and Xanax um, to deal with my mental health issues. Uh, my prescription got stopped because they realized that it was addictive, obviously, because it's a benzodiazepine. Um, and I, I started going from pharmacy to pharmacy, trying to get more because I would, I would feel it like, um, I started getting withdrawals and stuff. So they cut my prescription I started getting it from the street, um, which is like pressed Xanax bars. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with Xanax bars. I know what bars are. Yeah, it comes as like breakable into four pieces. Yeah. I remember um, funny story. It's not funny, but looking back, it's funny, but I didn't know what Xanax were at the time. I was very young. And my buddy gave me a few bars and I ate all the bars. I didn't know. I don't remember anything. And I woke up, I peed myself. Yeah. And you know what the best yeah, part is? Really just show you how stupid drug addicts are. My buddy who gave me them, he's like, you wouldn't wake up. So I left you there and I went home. I was like, dude, what if he's like, I didn't think you were dead. It was like, what if I had died? You literally left me there all by myself. Yeah, that's, that's not good. And Xanax is uh, very dangerous in the sense that it does make you hiccup. And then once you start hiccuping, you can vomit, right? So he shouldn't have left you. Um, no. Yeah, never. It, how I see things, if you're actively using, you should not be using alone now, especially nowadays. Um, but yeah, I, I turned to the streets to get my Xanax. Uh, and going back, I, what are you were mentioning pressed Xanax? What is that where they're making that? Is it, it they're making it themselves? Yes, so it's it's not pharmaceutical grade. It may have some contain some Xanax, although it contains a bunch of other stuff. And one day I realized the hard way, and it contained fentanyl. Um, so I ended up overdosing um, 
in a forest with my friends um, and police had to come and all that. I don't really remember, obviously, but um, yeah, it was pretty scary. Uh, yeah, it was not, not a fun situation at all. Um, after that incident, I started using something called Percocet, which probably a lot of people are familiar with. Unfortunately, um, it's all too, all too popular. Yes. After the Percocet, my addiction further progressed within uh, six years, and I was using straight up fentanyl. So it's not here there's different names and it comes in different colors i don't know i'm in the greater toronto area oh yeah i was um watching the documentary how uh i think the green was popular at the time they made it like there were different colors yes so dealers dye different colors as kind of like this is my stuff type of thing um i was using something called perp which has a high grade of fentanyl it's a mixture of stuff. It had a meth in it when it was tested. It has fentanyl in it, car fentanyl. Oh my god, car fentanyl takes car like fentanyl. they said that takes like three or four grains of salt, like yeah, that size to kill you. Super dangerous, super dangerous. Yeah, I think it's meant for elf. I think they use that on elephants and stuff. They do. It's not meant for human consumption. Yeah. Um Yeah, so it contained uh, fentanyl, car fentanyl, and all that, and it was called PERP. That that started Mm -hmm. circulating in the streets about, like, 2016 um, in this area, and yeah, it was constantly, I, I got super hooked on it, you know, I would wake up in the morning, feel terrible, needed my, my fix to do anything, um, it was a terrible lifestyle. I was homeless as a youth. I was homeless from ages 18 and up uh, till about two years ago. Um, it was not fun. And addiction is really sad because you meet a lot of great people who unfortunately succumb to such a terrible Ill- illness I've lost a lot of people within the last two years to fentanyl overdoses um, because it's flooding the streets right now. You can be doing cocaine and overdose on fentanyl because everything's currently laced here. Um, It's hard to find pure of anything here. And it's really sad because we're having younger kids who, you know, go out maybe get it get a Xanax pill or something and think it's just Xanax and then never end up waking up I mean when I was growing up it was different there wasn't that stuff everywhere but I said to myself if you went back to using would you take the chance because that you know what scares me is like I used to maybe I had fentanyl one day you know what I mean but back in Mm -hmm. the day I used to pop um Roxy's and Oxycontin's and Percocet's like I can't imagine doing it nowadays. Like you said, it's basically, it's like taking a gun, spinning the barrel and just playing Russian roulette. It's Russian roulette. It literally is. But I was so deep in addiction to the point I, I didn't even care. I needed it to 
get out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? Or I'd be vomiting, worse withdrawals. You know, my I would feel like I was crying, tears running down my eyes, but like tears running down my face, but I wasn't crying. You know, it's just the most terrible withdrawals possible. Um, and it took me quite a bit of work to quit. It took me losing some of the closest people uh, to me to actually find the motivation and say, hey, I want to make a change rather than, you know, be another statistic. Um, I was placed on Suboxone uh, for several years, which was very helpful. Um, real quick, I'm just curious. I know you dropped out. Just yes, real quick, going, going back to high school, what kind of grit? Were you a good student at first and it dipped off or just curious um, about that? I was very well capable of the work. Like I was a good student, I would say. I, my main issue was the social aspect and my mental health challenges. Um, yeah, but I was a pretty good student, I would say, beforehand. And what year did you drop out? Um, 2015. No, what, um, what year of school was it like second grade? I'm sorry, was it like 11th, 10th grade? Uh, eighth, no, not even ninth ninth tenth grade so it was when you were in high school yes at that point what were you doing with your life was it just day in day out using drugs or did you try to get a job or improve your life in any way I really struggled with human interaction you know I really wanted a job I did want all these things I really did want a job I just I didn't know the process of writing a resume or any of that I was never taught that right I was never taught how to prepare for an interview. Um, so I really struggled with that. I would mainly play video games all day and do my drugs. Um, I was very isolated. Uh, spent a lot of time by myself. Wouldn't leave my bedroom. Some of my darkest years, I would say, was my teenage years. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I, it's what I call the dark times. I was at the time like 27 maybe, but I went through two years where I barely left the apartment. Yeah. I didn't talk to anyone. My place was so filthy that even when people said, oh, I'll come over to visit, I was like, no, I made up an excuse. Yeah, it's just like I had no motivation to, you know, <laughs> succeed. I really didn't. Like I... I dropped out of school. I would play video games, do my drugs all day. And I now know that that's because of my mental health. You know, I wasn't getting the proper treatment. I was misdiagnosed a lot growing up. You know, like when I was younger, they thought I had ADHD. So when I was five years old, they put me on Ritalin and Adderall. At five years old? Five years old. My God, I didn't know they prescribed it that young. Yes. Every time I do some of these interviews, I learn something crazy like that. Yeah, like that's super young to, you know, putting a kid on a form of amphetamine. And it ends up I didn't even have ADHD. So instead, it just kept me up for days. You know, I ended up pulling out all my eyebrows. 
uh, my eyelashes. And I was on I was on stimulants, you know, prescribed stimulants until the age of 12, until they realized, oh, maybe she doesn't have that. Took them that long to figure it out. My God. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. So I I definitely think that contributed to, you know, my mental health, obviously, because I was taking medication for something I didn't even have. And there were probably a lot of side effects from it. Oh, 100%. I wouldn't sleep for days on end. I was very emotional and agitated 24-7. I couldn't concentrate. I was, I started avoiding school. Um, I'm very impulsive. Very, very impulsive. What kind of impulsive things would you do? Uh, you know, running away. I smoking weed first time I smoked weed I was about you know 10 years old I was about to be one of my next questions that's very young yeah so I started everything pretty young and it's kind of I think the biggest part of that was where I was growing up Uh, kind of like um social housing that is typical you know like kids that age smoking weed is like a normal thing there and stuff right so yeah started smoking weed pretty young you know I was prescribed medication I that was not beneficial for me in fact made me way worse you know gave me a bunch of anxiety and stuff um I started really having issues in school too behaviorally I would not sit at my desk and stuff and cause a ruckus (laughs) drive the teachers a bit a bit crazy um yeah it was just it's sad because looking back at it I was just a kid and I was on so many like intense medications and I wonder you know sometimes I wonder how would my life turned out if I wasn't like misdiagnosed and prescribed like if I actually got the proper help when I was younger um yeah it's just a sad circumstance but it's actually very common apparently where people are misdiagnosed with ADHD and then prescribed a bunch of uh, medications and they end up not having that and becoming way worse um, as I got older, I was prescribed something called lithium because I, everyone thought I had bipolar for some time. I was tested and ends up I did not have bipolar. Lithium made me very sick. I would wake up every morning vomiting and stuff. And um, yeah, it's not, not a great time. <laughs> no, I can imagine I'm. I'm bipolar, but I think I'm correctly diagnosed. It's the minute they gave yeah. me medication, I felt normal. I was like, oh, this must be what it like, be what it's like to feel normal. Yeah. I I was the exact opposite, you know. It really took a toll on my stomach. Um, well, lithium's very, you know, it's heavy, it's a heavy duty uh medication, right? It really took a toll on my stomach and my mental health. I would be like sleeping nonstop. It made me gain a lot of weight. 
so I was very self-conscious about that and it ends up I didn't even have bipolar right so it's like my my question for like the pharmaceuticals and all all those you know top of the league people is like why are we prescribing if we don't know 100% because that obviously affects you know a five-year-old you know what I mean like yeah, that's the thing about mental health is from what I understand, it's considered their most very, very educated guess. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. part of the diagnosis is to see if the medication helps. Yeah. You know, because if I think you're bipolar and then I give you bipolar meds and you say to me, oh, my life has changed for the better. Obviously, you needed that medication. Yeah. But like you said, sometimes it sucks where it doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, for for like a lot of my childhood, I kind of felt like like a guinea pig. <laughs> you know, I was on so many medications growing up. Um, now I'm just on one medication, just a antidepressant, and that works perfect for me. But I was on like at some point, I was on like seven pills a day. You know, growing <clears throat> up, and that's like a lot for a little kid. Um, with all the side effects and that, especially when they weren't beneficial because I didn't even end up having the things they initially thought I did. So once you got older and you uh, were hanging out at home just doing drugs all day and playing video games, how did you afford to do the drugs? Like, because obviously it costs money. Yeah. So I would boost I would go you know I I was a a thief for a while I would steal you know I had a what oh a thief yes okay um I would boost so like go into stores just take stuff and then sell it um yeah anything you know my my main priority was my drugs at the time. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of joke around nowadays because now, you know, I'm working, I'm, I'm graduating high school, and I'm like, wow, I had more money back then than I do now. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah. I also, I was very popular, you know, live streaming back in the day and stuff. I would be, I used to get paid from YouTube and stuff, you know, I would make videos on Nintendo and stuff, but immediately that, that would go straight to my drugs. And it, it's sad because I really did have a future, you know, um, making videos and video editing and all that stuff. Um, and I, it's like, I just threw it away. You know, I was getting paid for it and stuff. I was getting sponsors and instead I just, you know, the drugs were more important at the time. Yeah, it's amazing how once we get addicted, drugs, they're the number one priority in our lives. Exactly. And I have to be very careful because, you know, a lot of my viewers were younger, you know. They were, like, about the age group of Mm -hmm. 9 to 13. And I was like, you know, I'm starting to really you're really starting to like see the effects and stuff and I decided to quit because I didn't want to be you know a bad example for these kids I didn't want 
um, them to see my decline and stuff. So I ended up quitting that. Um, ended up homeless. I was in shelters on and off for about five years. How did you end up homeless? Your mom threw you so, out? So I was living with my mom, although I love my mom to death. She did a great job raising me. Um, she really struggled with my me on substances, right? We're not we're not the best people to be around sometimes, you know, 24-7 on drugs. Um, I started stealing from my own mom, which I never thought I would do in my life. And it hurts now to think about, but I was taking money from my mom's wallet, you know? I'd, I'd, I would cause a scene, I would throw stuff, you know, I was very hostile. I ended up going to several youth shelters, several women shelters, sometimes just straight up on the streets in Toronto. Um, Must have been scary. It was, um, but at the time, my drugs were more important. (laughs) Oh, I'm scared. I guess I'll just, you know, go shoot up or something. You know what I mean? Like, once the drugs were in my system, there's no fear. And I can't really imagine, you know, being on the streets now, um, now that I'm clean, but like, while I was on drugs, it like completely masked my current living situation. It just didn't matter to you. Yeah. Drugs came first and uh, that was it. You know, it came before my friends, it came before my family, before my housing, before any relationship, it came before everything. It came before my life. Because I've overdosed so many times. Like, I've overdosed at least 10 times. And Narcan has saved my life. Um, in Toronto, we have something called safe injection sites. Yeah, no, I've read a lot about it. Yeah, so I I was going down to Toronto. Um, I, w- I would take advantage of that, but I'm not from Toronto. You know, I I was mainly living up north, which is like an hour and a half uh, train ride or bus ride, about an hour, hour and a half. So a lot of the times I'd be like, you know, I'm not going to go to the safe site and make sure I'm fine. I'm just going to use in the washroom or something, which is like really, it's really dangerous, especially now with everything being straight up fentanyl. It's really dangerous. Yeah, I remember that was to me a controversial thing to me personally. It is. When it someone is. first told me what that was, I was like, Mm-mm, you're just enabling drug addicts to do it more, blah. But then I said to myself, well, if you just think about it logically, one, mm-hmm. no matter what, they're going to do it. Yes. But whether they're using toilet water or puddle water off the street, they're going to use, they're going to get the drugs. Oh, 100%. Why not give them a chance to live? And this, um, this girl Misty in my group, or I'm sorry, in uh, our group, and she t- tends every now and then. She has her own group also. She has a saying that she taught me: "Dead people don't recover." They don't. Like, so, to I mean, me now, I believe in the safe injections. I think that's a. It's not the best thing, but if if for 
for the situation we've been presented with, it seems like a logical answer. Let's keep people alive. Yeah. The HIV rate has gone down. The hepatitis C rate has gone down. And right now I sound like an advertisement for it. But like I said, I think it's just the smartest thing to do right now. Oh, 100%. Using a loan right now is like the number one killer, you know? Overdose rates are like the number one killer now, which is... It's crazy. It's that's scary. the one thing they during you know if they're educating a drug addict how to properly do things. That's the first thing they tell them is don't do it at the same time as your friend. You do it separately so your friend exactly. can call the ambulance. God forbid. Exactly, and it you know you never know. Like um, there was a story out of Toronto where a couple uh, smoked a little a little bit of uh, perp that stuff I was talking about off of tinfoil. They did it at the same time. Um, they both ended up overdosing and one of them ended up passing away. Um, but yeah, it happens so fast too. Um, and you always have to make sure you're near people, you know? I, I can't stress enough, people should never use a loan because then they have no chance, you know? It's Russian roulette. It's literally Russian roulette and it's super scary. Fentanyl's super cheap. Um, it's flooding the streets. You know, we have younger younger kids now. We have 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds overdosing off fentanyl. It's, it's sad. It really is. Yeah, it is. Right now, we write articles for the Mike group. And um, right now, I am writing an article on opioid crisis and what's going on with that and that's fentanyl 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 yep yep it's and it's sad because dealers will press it into pills so people think oh you know i'm taking a percocet or i'm taking a xanax bar and then they end up never waking up you know it's it's sad to me every every drug right now is russian roulette you know i've lost people they thought they were doing cocaine and they ended up overdosing. So you, you never know nowadays. You really don't. I, I've read stories. This hasn't happened in Canada, but I've read stories in, I think, Connecticut. You know, dealers were using the same scale to weigh fentanyl and then weighing cannabis. And then you had people overdosing just because they're using the same scale i never thought about things like that and accidentally yeah. it's actually technically not on purpose wow yeah like they just don't think about it they're using the same scales but someone with no tolerance that's going to make them drop you know it's it's scary you know it to me it's like chemical warfare in a sense so little can kill someone I had quite a tolerance. I was using grams a day at one point, you know, but it, it's, it really is scary. I've lived circumstances where I was in, you know, bandos, abandoned houses, and someone would smoke it off a of foil and then someone next to them would drop because they had no tolerance to it. And there's stories of people even, you know, touching it and, and dropping right that's how dangerous it is yeah 
So at what point in your life did you realize I had a problem and I needed to get help? I was completely in denial, you know, when in active dis- in active di- uh, addiction, you don't see it. You really don't. You know, I was in I was in jail for a bit, still didn't see it. I checked into a jail at the age of 21, weighing 87 pounds, wow. 5'4 and 87 pounds, you know, and even the jail, jail guard was like, wow, my 11 year old daughter's bigger than you. Like, um, my biggest, I guess, mindset change was I, I lost my ex, you know, to the same stuff. And he would always say, you know, you really need to get off of this. You really need to get off. And I've noticed that with addicts. They're very, like, they have everyone else's back, you know? But they don't really see, when they're in active addiction, they don't really see that they also need help. You know, they're too busy helping everyone, you know, making sure everyone else is good. I've noticed that's a common thing with addicts, you know? Um, But, yeah, he passed away uh, February 2021, and I literally changed my whole mindset. I was like, I'm going to get on Suboxone. I'm going to do good because he always told me, you know, you need to get off of that. It's going to end up killing you. Um, Got a job, got an apartment, just as fast as things, you know, went downhill I was able to change my life you know it took a lot of therapy it took a lot of motivation a lot it took a lot of everything you know but now I'm working full-time um graduating high school congratulations thank you um and I'm I want to help you know my community with you know addiction and stuff I'm I want to become a peer support mentor so people with lived experience just helping people you know in in bad circumstances now I want to try and do that um yeah so this was recently that this was the first time you ever seeked out help Yes, I I didn't believe I needed help you know everyone else around me was like Megan you're gonna die you know, you're going to die one day. You're just not going to wake up. And, you know, that didn't, that wasn't even enough. You know, that wasn't enough to get it through my head. It had to take me losing some, you know, someone I'm really close with and spoke to every day. But I, I used it as kind of motivation and I know he wanted to do the same thing at the end of the day is get clean and help others struggling with the same thing. Um, That was my biggest motivation, honestly. With losing someone. So I'm sorry to hear that's what it it took to bring you to that. I was in complete denial, though, in active addiction, you know. Oh, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong, you know. Meanwhile... I, I lost 50 pounds, you know, like, you just really don't see it when you're in active addiction. (laughs) You really don't. Him passing was a wake up call for me, to be honest. 
And it's sad that it took that, but now, you know, I want to do what he wanted to do. And that's help people at the end of the day. Yeah, it's It's, um, something that's very important that it's even in, you know, our steps and the alcoholics non steps is giving back. You know, the 12th Mm -hmm. step is known to just be of service to others. Exactly. And I, I, I do think it's more helpful for addicts, for people with lived experience, you know, it's kind of like I walked in those shoes before, you know, I know how it is, but life is worth it. You know, it is worth making a change and making something for yourself. It, it takes forever and it is very difficult, but at the end of the day, it is worth it. So how is life like for you nowadays? What are you doing with your life? I work full time. I'm about to graduate. You know, what I do you do as, as far as work? What do you do? Um, I work in the food industry. Okay. Um, yeah. I was very grateful for this job. You know, the, the owners are great. Um, it was a lot of like what I noticed getting clean is I need to keep myself busy nonstop. You know, yeah. I constantly have to be on the go. You know, I notice my mind is constantly going. Hence why, you know, I turned to drugs in the first place. I need to constantly be kept busy, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah I, mean, I work full time. No, no, you continue. I work full time. I'm about to graduate. You know, I try to fill my time up with healthy things now. You know, I like skateboarding. I like basketball. Um, you know, just filling my time up. Yeah, that's important. I mean, my biggest thing on my days off from work is I do this. You know, I do three yeah. or four podcasts every day or every day I'm off. So it keeps yeah. me busy. And it's also interesting talking to people, finding out all different types of stories and things like that. Yeah, no, it's it's cool um, hearing different people's stories and stuff and knowing that, you know, it is possible, you know, when people think fentanyl, they're like, oh, that that person's going to end up passing and stuff. But it is possible, you know, I was an IV user of fentanyl for years and I'm still here and, you know, I was able to change my life. It It took a lot, but I was able to. And that's all that matters is you're able to change your life for the better. Exactly. Because you, you're a living example that once you do the right thing, a lot of things will fall into place. Yes, 100%. And I'm so grateful. Um, you know, Narcan has saved my life a lot. I've had so many overdoses and Narcan really has saved my life. Um, you know... But it, yes. it's just sad for the people that use by themselves and don't really have, you know, that's the biggest killer, I would say. Never use by yourself. It doesn't matter what it is anymore. It really doesn't. So it sounds like you're a believer in harm reduction. I am. 
but at the same time, harm reduction, you know, safe injection sites does come with its flaws. Um, I, I, what do you see as flaws in this, that system? Dealers take advantage of it. Yes. You know, 100%. They take advantage of it. You know, they, they will, you know, use that system to get more customers type of thing, right? Um, I've noticed that, but that's honestly the biggest thing. And I know people argue, well, you know, that's just providing them the necessities to use and stuff. But realistically, I was going to do it anyways, like you said earlier on, you know, whether that be, you know, me getting the water from a washroom, me using the same needle, I, I would have done it back then, you know, if I didn't have those things. If I didn't have, you know, those home reduction things necessary, I probably would have done it. The one thing I'm also up in the air about, um, or I'm still trying to decide is it good or not, is safe supply. You know what that is? Uh, like the needles and the water and the cookers and all that? No. So safe supply is they literally provide you with the drug. Like in okay, some yeah. places, I think it's, Vancouver I think it's British Columbia. Yeah, Vancouver's starting to do that. Vancouver, um, yeah. Vancouver's terrible with drugs, you know. I know a couple people out there. Um, East Hastings, you know, it's it's pretty bad. It looks like how Kensington, Philadelphia looks, you know. I don't know if you're familiar with Kensington, Philadelphia, but, you know, that's like the biggest fentanyl like market you know open drug market um, yeah that's what people say it's like going to a flea market there where just people are set up and exactly sell, sell and east casings in vancouver is like kind of similar you know but i'm kind of up in the air about it too only because you know how about for the people who got clean you know it's like i I think if it does become a thing, I think a lot of, you know, recovering addicts will struggle with that, you know? Yeah, I, I think that might encourage people a little bit more to not have to quit, you know, saying, exactly. oh, look, even my supply is now not going to have fentanyl, so I don't have a problem. Exactly. Yeah, I'm kind of up in the air about it, too. But that opinion can change. Like I said, when I first heard of the safe injection sites, even when I first, you know, got into hearing about Suboxone and Methadone and things like that and how it actually worked, you know, I was against it. I was 120% against it. And then I learned more. I read more. And I'm a very logical person. So if you could prove points to me and I have nothing to um, rebut with those points, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I have to accept it. It's it's good. I I would say it would be good for people who you know are are going out and trying. They use cocaine, for example. It's even you know, it's risky using cocaine in the sense that now cocaine's being laced or uh, Xanax says that's the thing. You know, you never know what's in anything nowadays. Dealers use the same scales, so cross contamination right there. You just never know. And I think they're just trying to, you know, make sure that they're preventing deaths and stuff. But at the same time, I do think it's enabling. I'm kind of like, 
torn between it, you know? I do think it would be beneficial in some ways, but I also think it wouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Me too. So that's something I'm up in the air about. But I think I'm going to end up, I don't know. My big thing is that I just don't want people to die. I don't either, no. And we're losing a lot of people. And it's getting, you know, we're losing kids now. You know, like 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds. Like that, they're babies still, you know, they're kids. And it's just, it's sad, you know. There's so much potential. When when I was a teenager, you know, I definitely um, tried a bunch of stuff, but I there wasn't that threat when I was a teenager of you know like this might be like this is Russian roulette. Now there's that threat, you know, everything's risky. Everything's risky. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. So one of my last questions for you is, do you have any advice for people listening and watching? My advice would be if you're actively using, please do not use alone. It doesn't matter the substance anymore. Um, And life is worth living. It really is. You know, you're, I went from living on the streets, you know, sticking a needle in my arm every day to you know being a functioning member of society which I never could have imagined but it is possible you know no it's absolutely possible see many Mm. people that they do get better just like people say we do recover also my advice would be you know find the underlying find the underlining cause you know where you prescribe something and then got addicted that way? Or are you kind of self-medicating? And it's very important that people, you know, deal with their underlying causes. So it's more, you know, helpful for when they quit. Like, personally, I, I, I was, you know, avoiding a lot of trauma in my past. So that's why I would constantly use because if I'm just sitting here, obviously I'm going to have thought like memories and stuff right yeah so that would be my biggest advice is you know find the underlying cause and definitely don't use alone if you're actively using yeah when it comes down to getting to the root cause of things it's the only way to get better because exactly if if you don't know why you're using this you're not going to know how to go about getting yourself to quit exactly But yeah, I think that's all we got for today. Did you have anything else you wanted to throw in there? Um, We do recover. (laughs) Yeah. We do recover, for real. Um, It is possible. (laughs) It absolutely is. All right. So for anybody watching or listening, give us a like below. Also, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and click subscribe. You'll be able to see when we update or I apologize, upload new videos. Also check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. If you go to our Facebook group page, there is a link for an events tab. You click there and below we'll give you all the links to our nightly Zoom meetings. So that's all I have for today. And until next time.